Welcome back, listeners, for the fourth episode of Circulating Spaces, Literary and Language Worlds in a Global Age, a podcast dedicated to exploring what it means to engage with literature as a global community. I'm Christian Howard. And I'm Samantha Wallace, and we're your hosts. Circulating Spaces is still an experiment coming out of the University of Virginia and the Public Humanities Lab, generously funded by the Institute of the Humanities and Global Cultures. And really big news, I'm really excited about this. We're finally on iTunes. Thank you so much, Christian. Yeah, so you can subscribe by going to iTunes or you can subscribe on our website. Yep, the RSS feed is available um, on the website and I'm really jazzed about this. (laughs) Christian worked really hard, so this is awesome. Um, besides this landmark breakthrough, Christian, what's been going on with you since our last episode? Uh, honestly, not much. Um, I've enjoyed the holidays and visited my family down in Texas, which was nice, great. Nice, nice. Um, so now I'm just getting prepared and hyped for the next semester. Yeah, we just started over yep. here at yeah. UVA. Mm-hmm. So how about you, Sam? Yeah, more or less the same. I was um, home in California with family, um, but I did manage to read some really wonderful books over break that I had been sort of putting off until I had that um, free time books that came out in 2017. Um, Some notable ones. My Favorite Thing is Monsters is a graphic novel by Emil Ferris, and Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado were both really excellent. Um, I highly recommend those. I read The Power by Naomi Alderman. Um, I was kind of lukewarm on it, but I think the concept is interesting. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. That's the best part about break is seeing family and catching up on reading. Yeah, Absolutely. So today's episode is on translation, and we're talking with, uh, and Chi, correct me if I'm mispronouncing your name, but Chi La'alen, uh, who's a friend from Vietnam, and it, did I get that right? Yeah, it's correct. Woo. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so Chi's a friend from Vietnam, and she's my former Vietnamese language instructor. Uh, so we're really excited to have you on the show, Chi. Yeah, thank you for having me here today. Excellent. So Chi, could you tell us um, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Chi, and I'm now 21 years old now, and I'm from Vietnam. At the present, I'm a third-year student of the University of Latin and International Studies, majoring in translation and interpreting. I've just studied translation last year, but I think I have learned a lot of things that are useful to my career in the future. Really, really awesome. Um, we're so grateful to have you on the show. Um, it, this is our first, our first guest who's coming from... Out of the country, right? Yes. This, so this is huge. Um, yeah. Chi, this is awesome. Um, in the event that the sound quality cuts out, just chalk it off to being hundreds of miles away <laughs> from each other. Yeah. Um, can you guys talk a little bit about how you, how you two met this summer? Yeah. What you were up to? Sure. So I was teaching English in Vietnam over the summer for a couple of months, um, and I joined the High Five Language Program to help me learn Vietnamese, um, mm. and she was my language instructor. Yeah. So, Hafeano is a student organization which offers free Vietnamese classes. At Hafeano, not only we provide Vietnamese lessons, but we also help them to get used to life in Vietnam and become their local friends. And besides learning activities, Hafeano also has events related to Vietnamese tradition, such as the Mid-Autumn or the Tate, the Lunar New Year. And if you're about to visit Vietnam in the future, so don't forget to sign up to learn with High Five. Yeah, I highly recommend Hi-Fi. It's, it's really, really wonderful. That's awesome. Absolutely. So, Chi, can you tell us how many languages that, how many languages do you know and how many languages are you translating between? Uh, I can say that I know two languages, English and Korean, but 
we translated English into Vietnamese and vice versa. My Korean is at elementary level. Right. I just remember some common expression that I watch from films and movies. But I think I need to need to focus more on it before I forget everything that I've learned in school. <laughs> That's great. Um, so how did you get into translation? Uh, so at my school, after two first year practicing the basic English skills, we had to choose our majors. So the school held an orientation workshop first. And I was really impressed by the teacher of the translation department. The way she delivered the information was really easily understood and attractive. Actually, she looks really cool in her clothing. <laughs> it's very important. Yeah, everything. So I decided to learn about translation. Yeah, it's really important. Um, can you talk about the kinds of translations projects that you work on, or maybe the ones that you want to work on in the future? Yeah, so like, at school, teachers have us interact with the most high translation from the written form, the spoken form, or even the real-time one. First thing, I would love to work on the written translation. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that with written form, I have more time to think about the wording, to change if necessary. The spoken translation, on the other hand, requires more skills with limited time. Like, I always thought that I have a good memory until I learned about interpreting because without not taking, like, i just able to remember few words, which is absolutely not enough to talk to the other people. Yeah, well, I have to say, I'm I'm thoroughly impressed with, with your language skills <laughs> that, that I saw certainly through the High Five program. Um, you are a wonderful teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Thank also, you. Also, interesting, too, that I mean, we know this, but the sort of the idea that doing something in written form and doing something in spoken yeah. form, that those are just two completely different skills. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. yeah, and the sort of anxieties attendant with, at least for me, with speaking a different language um, mm-hmm. versus having time to compose um, the podcast we get to, it's, it's sort of a combination of both, which I think is sort of fun. Like yeah. we are, I'm sort of winging it up here, um, early in the morning for me, but also we can go back and edit, um, our sound and, you know, a cool blend of the two. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, she, if I could ask you about like some of the linguistic, cultural, syntactic, um, et cetera, difficulties of tra- translating Vietnamese into English and vice versa. And so, like, I'm, I'm thinking particularly of some, some problems that I encountered when I was over in Vietnam, uh, it, like with the Vietnamese English dictionaries, right? Um, I think we had yeah. uh, a conversation in which you were, um, you were asking about this, this word, C-A-T-U-S, catus, which we realized was actually uh, cactus, and it was oh. written incorrectly in the um, oh, Vietnamese problem. dictionary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So could you tell us a little bit about some of these issues? Yeah. So I think each language has all rules. And when translating from one language to another, translators have to encounter many difficulties. For instance, like when I've learned about translation, we have to determine between the re- referential words, which refer things mentioned earlier. But in Vietnamese, we don't have that kind of word. If the translations tend to be faithful and select the equivalent meaning of those words in Vietnamese, the product turns out to be unnatural and hardly understood in, to Vietnamese people. So in this case, instead of translating the referential word, we will repeat what should be implied or mm. paraphrase that word. Mm-hmm. 
Or another example of difficulty is the differences between counters. It is easy to realize that swear words appear quite frequently in English movies. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But it is another story in Vietnam. And when in that situation, translators have to use other words which are less serious to express the feeling. Mm. Actually, in Vietnamese movies, swear words mostly are banned. Yeah, and that, and that movie won't be bad forever if it had some too serious word like you know like the F word or something. So, I guess as a, as a translator, can you give us some examples of how you've dealt with with navigating some of these challenges, like the swear word issue or various other things that you've encountered? Yeah, so I have a small sentence about the referential words, which is it has been noticed that people differ very much in their capacity to handle words. And this is not necessarily related to their intelligence. So instead of translating, translating the sentence with the subject it and keep the passive form, I have to put a specific subject and change the sentence into the active form. So the sentence would be, people has noticed that people differ very much in their capacity to handle words. And that difference is not necessarily related to their intelligence. So I have changed the word it into people and this into that difference so that Vietnamese people can understand what is it and what is that. Okay. Could you could you tell us a little bit about like the the form of Vietnamese or the, the sentence structure? Because I know it differs very much with uh, from yeah. from English. So I'm um Uh, so, so like the different morphological types, right? The analytic or fusional versus agglutinative or whatever, right? So this affects our ways of thinking. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, yeah. like, to what extent it's possible to become aware of and alter our uh, thinking by learning a foreign language that employs a vastly mm -hmm. different linguistic structure. Um, so, so for instance, I'll, I'll give an example of my time in Vietnam, right? Um, so tenses. So English often uses endings to indicate tense, right? So the ed for the past tense, es for present tense, whatever. Okay, but in Vietnamese, there are no tense endings, right? Instead, you have individual words that you place in front of the verb to indicate the tense. Hmm. Um, so there are only, uh, I believe, um, four tenses in Vietnamese. There's present, there's present continuous, there's future, and there's past. Um, yeah. So, Chi, why don't you give us an example um, of this, maybe? Uh, so, like, in English, people recognize the tenses by the inflational morphemes like ed or yes. Mm. But in Vietnam, people recognize the tenses by context. So, for example, with the, word, with the simple sentence, he, he runs, and he ran to express the action run in the past. Vietnamese people would the word that before the verb. However, if in a sentence, There are words that refer in time, like yesterday or last time or last week. Mm. We will not use the word that anymore. And I think that the reason why English learners like me usually forget to change the verb, the verb forms when the tenses change or add e, es or s at the end of a noun to, ex to express the plural form, you know? Yeah, That yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of... Uh, connects with another issue that I saw. Um, and one of the difficulties that I noticed with my students uh, over in Vietnam 
was on this issue of tense, right? So for instance, when I was teaching um, my IELTS students uh, uh, upper upper English, um, they're, they're getting ready so to like go how to... How old are these students? Yeah, they, they're about 17. Okay. Um, they're getting ready to go to college. Right. Um, yeah. So when I was teaching them uh, future perfect tense, right, I will have done something. Uh, my students didn't have a model for uh, this structure, right? So they had to totally reconceptualize how time flows in order to fully understand this tense, right? Um, so, so if I can ask Chi, how do you handle um, issues like tense when you're translating? Like, we have to read the whole context to understand. Like, in, in English, the tense is determined really clearly. And, like, the present tense and the present perfect is different in meaning. But in Vietnamese, they are just the same. So, like, we have to spend a lot of time to learn it. Like, free time at the high school to understand the whole thing. And, like, have extra classes to determine the, the, the time that we have to draw a line and determine what is past and present and, and future to decide mm-hmm. what and is it and yeah and imagine the tense of being in the future. So Chi, what in your opinion would you say is gained in translation if if anything um, or what is lost in translation? Like so I think um, what we gain is the main idea mm. of the text, like the intention of the text, the attitude of the author mm. to what, what he's or she's is writing. And actually, uh, we don't have to focus on the syntax so much because the grammar in Vietnamese and English is different. So like mm-hmm. the translator can rearrange the sentence to make it easily express the idea I mean the idea was would be easily expressed mm-hmm. if we change a bit the, the syntax or mm-hmm. the position of the words. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chi as a translator, what are your primary goals when you approach a text? Do you focus on keeping the author's voice? Uh, I guess not the syntax, right? Um, but <laughs> do you do you go more for the literal meaning, uh, metaphorical meaning? What are you looking for? Yeah, like I said before, I would focus on the author's voice. So that I actually, when I concentrate on the author attitude to the text, then I will know whether I should use the literal meaning or metaphorical meanings, mm-hmm. because it depends on his attitude, his idea, and the whole context. And the translator needs to be flexible mm-hmm. to understand the whole thing. Yeah. And the readership is also a key element to choose the appropriate wording and tone. Because to some less educated person, like some technical term is too difficult for them. So we need to determine the readership. Mm-hmm. Who will be our audience? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. yeah. So you have someone specific in mind mm-hmm. or a group in mind when you translate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, so kind of along the same lines, right? Um, how do you build a system of values for deciding what to keep and what to lose when working on a particular text? So, like, when working on a particular text, it is ideal that every word is translated. But I just 
don't translate words that make the whole sentence unnatural, mm. like the referential words, like I have mentioned before, you know? Uh-huh. And, yeah, I think that's all. Okay. All so right. you, you keep the sense of the whole and sort of let go the outliers that don't really change the sense. Chi, are there any translators whom you particularly admire or, or even, I guess, translations that you think are done really well? Yeah, like, I don't know many translators in my country, but I do admire one. This is the teacher that I met at the orientation for Sharp. She's not only a lecturer at my school, but she's also a credible translator of Randall Publishing House in Vietnam. She has many, like, products that have been translated from English to Vietnamese. And she's a really nice and cool teacher that students always love her classes. And hope that I have a chance to attend her class in the future. Oh, that's great. Um, what What's her name? Her name is Ha Pu. Okay, and that's spelled H A space H A. Yeah, H A downtone, and then T H U. Ah, okay. Okay. Great. Cool. Yeah. Do you remember what 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 you have learned? In the summer, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm going back to it. I, I still uh, still remember it a little bit, like mostly dusting off some cobwebs a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So so like in Vietnamese, there are uh, five tones, okay. um, and so that that determines, yeah, the, the the tone when you when you pronounce something. So there's like the down tone, like ha, or there's the up tone, like ha. Mm-hmm. Hopefully. Are the are those tones something that you must memorize, or is there sort of like a, is there a system to it? Like at the end of a sentence, it's down, or a, a question, it's up. No, so um, there are like uh, like in German or or French or something, there are markers mm-hmm. over uh, specific words, mm-hmm. right? The vowel sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yeah, there's a system for determining what each word is. Okay. Um, and like words can even. Uh, the the tone of words, or the the tone of a, a vowel will change the word entirely. Mm. So so she like what's the example with um what it's it's pineapple, right? And yeah, and apple. So what what is that word again? Pineapple. Uh huh. Is zua. Zua. Okay. Yeah. Um and then and the similar word to that is watermelon, which is pronounced zua. Uh, Zua is watermelon. Okay. Zua. And they only different Zua. with the uptone. Yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. So when ordering juice in Vietnam, <laughs> be, be careful. careful. <laughs> be careful. I mean, both are good. Watermelons and pineapple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, funny. Pineapple is a weird word in, in lots of languages. Yeah, it is. Anyways, it is a strange word. That is. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um. Yeah. So so the the tones though are like like gender in in French. You just have to memorize the gender to uh-huh. the word. Yeah. There's no like. All nouns that are blue no. are feminine. There's no rule. No. It's just you memorize them. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a lot of work. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But, I mean, the interesting thing is, like like we mentioned earlier, there are no um, endings for the words. Sure. So no words ever change. Mm-hmm. You just add another word to the sentence, the sentence. to indicate tense or yeah. even uh, possession, mm-hmm. right, or whatever it is. Mm. So um, in some ways it's it's easier, though it's it's – Difficult to pronounce, I think. <laughs> yeah. Can I go off script one more time and ask one more question? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm curious about how you would, if you don't have something like the future perfect, mm-hmm. 
how do you how do you formulate conditions in Vietnamese? Like contrafactuals, like I will have done something, uh, so but the, I didn't. Yeah, but there's no there is no tense like that, right. and so they don't have that construction. So they have like um in conditions you would make like a simple like when it rains it pours kind of something like that. Uh, actually, I don't know that. Chi, do you know for, for <laughs> conditional? No, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so because the tenses are really simple. Uh-huh. And like people, even they don't use size of ten to refer to ten. They just use time. And people will understand without any type right. signature. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So signal, I'm sorry. Context is everything. Yeah. 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 Uh, huh. That's so fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's it's a really, really interesting language. So one more question, though. So how did you figure out cactus when you were looking at the dictionary? Was it context? Was it the definition of, <laughs> of cactus? We were like, this is this must be what it is. No, I think, Chi, you, you pulled up a picture of a cactus. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. Cactus, right. Yeah, uh, so, so Google can be very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Google Translate. Yep. Um, very cool. All right. Um, so our, our podcast, as you know, Chi, is, is geared towards reaching a broad audience, we hope, um, at least beyond the audience of the Academy, um, which is one of the many reasons we're so excited to have you on. Um, and as a result, we're, we're framing our podcast under the rubric of public humanities or projects that facilitate conversations about the humanities from a diverse range of perspectives, um, including tr- uh, translation. So in your work as a translator, who do you see as your audience? You talked a little bit about this, but um, maybe for, sp- for some specific projects, uh, who do you hope to reach with your work? Yeah, so as a translator, I hope that not only translator, but also language learners will be my audience. Translation, I think, is not just about tra- transferring one language to another one, but it's about language. So, like, I learned about translation, and I realized that I need to improve my mother tongue as well. Mm-hmm. Because you need to be mastered the both language to be fluent to translate yeah. and make the product natural yeah. and sounds like you know and sounds like your language and for translation I think that we have learned a lot of things like about the cultures yeah. of both countries and many things as well like if you are specialized in chemistry and you know a lot about chemistry and the other thing as well so I think for translation yeah. you have a chance to not only like to improve your language, but also improve your knowledge, like broaden your mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, having talked to you, I, I sort of would go further to say then you have to be fluent in whatever languages you're translating. I think if you are translating, you have, you've reached some kind of skill level that's above fluency I mean, to be able to navigate in complex ways between two languages. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like you you must be more than fluent. You must be more than a master. You've got some kind of, yeah, super fluency. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so so I guess finally here, kind of wrapping up, are there any books, um, and particularly any books by Vietnamese writers uh, who have either written in or been translated into English um, that you would recommend to our listeners? So I, I would love to introduce you a book which is called Diary of a Cricket by Dohai. It is a children's book. I think it really is suitable for all ages. And it has been translated to many languages and republished many times in Vietnam. 
stories about the adventure of a cricket from his very first day of the independence life and how he becomes a mature, thoughtful man from a very naughty boy. And like by the telling life of the cricket, the author, I think he wants to convey the meaningful messages about the friend. And I hope that if you have a chance to look at this book, and it will bring you many interesting experiences. Yeah, I, I actually, um, I've read A Diary of a Cricket. It's it's wonderful. It's a lot of fun. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's great. So I, I definitely recommend it. And it's um, the author is, uh, again, Tohai. <laughs> T-O space yeah. H-O-A-I. Tohai. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Great. Um, one, one other thing that I would add, I read also while I was over there um, a, a book called Q. K-I-E-U, I believe. Mm. Um, it's a, a it's it's like an it's like a Vietnamese. Yeah, epic. like like a poem, right? Yes, oh, yes, okay. the long poem. It's absolutely wonderful. So I also highly recommend that to our readers. Yeah, yeah. very cool. We'll put uh, links up to those. Yes, absolutely. Um, that's awesome. Uh, before you guys sign off, can you just give us like an anecdote that you want to share about your time in Vietnam or maybe your time with Chi, like storytelling time. I just, sure. like, um, so I'm putting you on the spot here. Yeah, but, no, no, I mean, you have fine. so many good stories from when we spoke, um, when you came back, mm-hmm. general impressions. Yeah. Well, I guess first and foremost, I want to say it's probably the most beautiful country I've ever been to. Yeah. Vietnam is just incredible and, yeah. um, gorgeous and absolutely amazing. Um, and one thing, let's see. So, so I think one thing coming from America where we have very, this is maybe going to sound, I I don't know, like stereotypical or something. I put you on the spot. So (laughs) take it with a grain of salt. Um, It's early in the morning here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but coming from America, which has a very well-defined set of traffic rules, (laughs) right. Um, to Vietnam, which is kind of a free-for-all in some respects. Less defined traffic rules. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was one of the, the <laughs> things that I had to get used to the most, I think. Um, Do pedestrians have the right of way? Uh, no. Okay. It's it's kind of like whoever gets there first. Okay. Uh, at least that was my sense of things when trying to cross the road yeah. and stuff, right? <laughs> um, so it's, I mean, it was, in, in some ways, I, I actually think that Vietnamese are better drivers mm-hmm. than Americans, um, like they are so aware, certainly of, less complacent. Yeah, and yeah. very much aware of whoever is around them, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so um, it's it was a little bit scary though, not having that that set of rules. So I guess you could like kind of take this and generalize out from that a little bit, right? Um, that that I am very much used to a particular set of rules, right? Mm-hmm. And being mm-hmm. introduced to um, another country, another culture that has a vastly different system, mm-hmm. right? Um, it just, it opened my eyes to a lot of those rules, right? And the, yeah, the, yeah. the things that I take for granted. Um, I'm sure you experience the space of an intersection in a much different way. Yes. I mean, talking about being oriented to spaces. like Yeah. I, I mean, I am a, I'm from Southern California, so I have a little bit of road rage when I drive um, just chalk it up to the LA background and pedestrians here sometimes drive me nuts because yeah. they're oh, yeah. just, they're on their phones and I do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying I don't do it either, but people are on their phones They're because they have the right of way. They're not as, um, 
conscious of yeah. maybe the other um, sure. motor vehicles or bikes on the road. So, you, yeah, I imagine mm-hmm. that given a new set of rules, you would experience the same sort of space in a completely different way. Yeah, well, like at, at intersections and stuff, um, at the red lights, if anyone stops for the red lights, sometimes they do for the really busy intersections, right? Um, and my, my favorite, there's this one intersection where they, they had police officers out there to direct the traffic because everyone ignored the lights. <laughs> but anyway... So, so when they do stop at the red light, <laughs> she's laughing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when they do stop at the red light, there's a, a counter, um, like a, a timer that uh, counts down, uh-huh. right, until the light turns green. And about five seconds until it turns green, um, people start start revving. Well, no, they start revving before that. If you don't start going five seconds before it turns green, people are honking at you already. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm just like. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but there was that. And the other, the other thing that I found very scary. So I would ride on the back of people's motorbikes to uh-huh. get around. Um, uh, I would use Grab, which is like the, I believe it's the Asian version of Uber. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, I use Grab all the time, would hop on the back of someone's motorbike and mm-hmm. go wherever I needed to. Um, and sometimes when navigating the streets of Hanoi, um, going through these small alleys and stuff, people don't stop right at corners, blind corners. They just oh. honk. Yeah, and that, to that let you honk, know they're coming. Yeah, it's like <laughs> a, if you're there, move before I come around the corner. You've been warned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I yeah, but like I said, with all of this stuff, like I definitely think the Vietnamese are better drivers than yeah <laughs> than we are it's in just America. Learning a new set of rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Wow. So, yeah. And remind us of the name of the of the program that you um, yeah. worked for over the summer. Yeah. So I was teaching at a um, an English language school. It was called Apollo. Mm-hmm. Um, though, though I believe people over there pronounce it Apollo. Uh, Apollo, uh, right? It's A P O L L O. I'm not quite sure why it was named Apollo, but it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so it was it was wonderful. Um, it highly was a, recommend. Yeah, highly recommend. Awesome. All, all English um, immersion school, mm-hmm. um, and we would teach different subjects, mm-hmm. uh, math, science, whatever, mm-hmm. um, in English to help the students one with the curriculum and mm-hmm. two to get to know uh, a, a diverse set of, um, a vocabulary. Really cool. Right. Yeah. And the the program that you met Chi in is called High Five. High Five. Awesome. Yes. All right. Yeah. Just gotta reiterate that too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We can. We can put a link up. Definitely. On our, on our yeah. Website just too. want to make sure people uh, can get in contact with see yes. if they're ever in in Vietnam. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Chi. Uh, do you have any final final thoughts for us before we before we sign off? Like, I think your work is really brilliant. Like, oh. it talks about <laughs> many things. Really interesting. <laughs> Thing that I think you had to put much effort to this. Yes, I, I hope that you will success in the future. I mean, we're only as good as the our guests, as the interesting people we talk to. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's this, so much. It's so much wonderful. fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so much fun talking to you. Chi, um, how can listeners get in touch with you if they have more questions um, about translation or high five? Okay, so like you can contact me via my email, which is la lingchi. 97 at gmail.com. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Perfect. And I, um, if it's okay with you, I will put that up on the website for, for our listeners. Yeah, it's okay. Okay, awesome. perfect. That is awesome. All right. And thank you. Thank you, Chi, again. And thank you to all of our listeners. Um, for those of you who want more information or would like to subscribe to our podcast channel, please visit our website at, and we have a new web address. Yay. Oh my goodness. So it's, it's been shortened as well. Oh no, that was my, that's my favorite part. <laughs> um, so the new, the new address that you can still get there using the old address, but the new address is www.circulatingspaces.com. That is much, wow. that is much sleeker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Much better. Although I do miss the million backslashes. <laughs> um, Another technological miracle. Well yes. done, Christian. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> On our next episode, we will talk with University of Virginia's Library Director of Information Policy, Brandon Butler, um, about his work as a legal aide and uh, as an open access advocate. So stay tuned for that. Thank you again, Chi. Uh, this has been so much fun. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And until next time.